Welcome to the BMJ podcast. I'm Duncan Jarvis, multimedia editor here. The BMJ has been campaigning for an end to too much medicine, the pernicious effect of marketing on a range of tests and treatments that doctors offer patients. Tests and treatments which are motivated by financial reward for the system rather than the health of the individual. A new analysis on bmj.com takes a look at what's happening in the first part of that, testing. New biomarkers for disease and new ways of monitoring have the potential to diagnose diseases more quickly. But is the hype backed by science? Bjorn Hoffman, Professor of Medical Ethics at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology and one of the authors of that analysis, doesn't think so and joins us on the podcast now to discuss. Bjorn, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you for having me. Now, in the article, you have a, uh, a little... Um, example of a potential back box warning and you say maybe a little bit facetiously in there the enclosed test result may induce worry or alternatively a false sense of security it is also possible that results themselves are wrong and that the question of what you do with this information is unknown but then you also go on to say in that the resulting wild goose chase may lead to personal bankruptcy in some countries that's quite a statement. Is that something you worry about? Yes, it really does, uh, because uh, um, new diagnostic tests should uh, increase uh, knowledge about diseases and increase people's health. And of course, uh, if it does the opposite, there are reasons to worry. And we look into some examples where the potential for benefit is quite uh, substantial, but also uh, where the uh, potential uh, for the harms uh, are uh, significant. Mm. And um, you've got a couple of good examples in in the paper, which I think people should go and read. But if we take for a start, um, you talk about immunosignatures for cancer and infections. So essentially, this is testing for a range of um, peptides in the blood that have been linked to cancer infection. Um, but you say that the, the study there was reported in Nature Communications um, and the results were from 50 patients of each type. Now that seems like interesting research and good research to do, but it also seems like pretty early research. And yet that's already being marketed. Um, is that a typical for, for some of the things that you're worrying about? Yes, definitely. I am, well, quite optimistic with regards to... Uh, new tests entering the market and and their potential use uh, in the clinic in the future, we see that a lot of these uh, uh, tests, for instance, immune signature, they're tested with with quite few patients. And of course, as these are uh, new diagnostics, uh, they will be uh, be published. But their results are also used uh, very optimistically, for instance, to uh, gain and increase the uh, venture capital, and also uh, to enter these tests into the markets. And we've we've, uh, uh, monitored some of the results, and the results look quite positive. Um, And uh, very optimistically, uh, they report um, high uh, numbers of uh, sensitivity and specificity. But uh, when we look closer at that, uh, we see that, well, there are not that many patients, 
and uh, the uh, patients or persons uh, that are tested may be uh, not very representative for uh, the general population where the tests may be used. So we're quite worried about the uh, external validity of, of these tests. Hmm. Um, and now another one that you look at um, is the breath test for lung cancer. So it's, again, it's looking for a biochemical signature for the disease. Um, now, it's claimed there that this could save 10,000 lives and 24 million pounds in the NHS alone. Um, but then when you go into that a bit further, you say that the false positive rate is somewhere between zero and 83%. It's pretty wide. Um, and that the sensitivity is somewhere between 51 and 100%, so not very sensitive. Um, so you could end up there with a lot of people being told that they have cancer when they don't, or potentially people being reassured that they have they don't have cancer when they shouldn't be reassured. Um, and I think this struck me that this wouldn't pass what we would expect of a, a screening test um, in the UK anyway, and yet it's still being hyped and, and still being marketed. Yes, that worries us uh, uh, also because, uh, I mean, it would, of course, be uh, fantastic if you had uh, some kind of a cancer sniffing test, uh, which you even could couple to your, uh, your mobile phone or iPhone. Uh, but at the same time, if, if this becomes widespread, you would have a lot of uh, false alarms and a lot of people uh, seeking uh, health care. Um, and also, this could increase health anxiety, and that's one of the worries we have, and, and we, we, which we highlight in, in our publication. Mm. Um, and then the third one, uh, there are more in the in the paper, and I again would suggest people read that to, to find out why. But the third test that you talk about is um, a test for Alzheimer's disease. Now, at the moment, you know that's a clinical diagnosis. Um, it's also there is some controversy around the diagnosis for it, and yet people are developing blood tests that could potentially, um, or they say could could show uh, the likelihood of this occurring maybe 10 years in advance. Um, so what's your worry about that? Uh, this is very interesting, and also I think it's, uh, uh, I mean, it's, about um, disease which a lot of people fear, which is uh, quite prevalent in the populations and and which gains a lot of attention. And uh, some of the results also indicate that, well, you can have high sensitivities for detecting Alzheimer's disease, about 95%. And even with regards to predicting Alzheimer's disease over a time period of, of uh, two to three years, uh, reports uh, of 90% uh, sensitivity are available. Uh, however, if you look closer, it's very hard to replicate these uh, results. Uh, so what we're concerned about is the harms and the costs also if you launch these into the market before they're uh, well and appropriately tested. For instance, uh, false positive rates uh, may be uh, quite high in ordinary populations. Uh, and also because some of the test results are uh, done with people uh, with uh, definite disease. And when you test for uh, specificity, they may be uh, in quite 
uh, healthy population. So, so they're not representative for the population which will uh, be relevant for the clinical use of these. And of course, uh, if even if the tests are accurate, uh, the question comes, well, how actionable are these uh, are the results of these tests? What can mm. you do? Mm. And as long as you can't do anything about them, you should worry about other things. Like, for instance, what will result from this with regards to emotional despair, uh, stigma, discrimination? And also in areas where you do not, as you mentioned, you have a clinical uh, diagnosis for this. And if you then have a biomarker and a quantitative and so-called objective uh, standard for testing, this may uh, become uh, the gold standard for diagnosing Alzheimer's disease, i.e. it will define the disease. And of course, if you do that without a very, very good uh, and well uh, validated uh, diagnostic test, you may end up uh, places where you, you really didn't want to go. Mm. And um, I mentioned at the beginning our Too Much Medicine campaign, and a big part of that has been looking at the problem of overdiagnosis, and especially where diagnoses, maybe definitions expand over time. And I suppose um, if you're trying to put a quantitative measure on something like Alzheimer's, it then will inevitably uh, lead to that kind of creep as well. Yes, and if, if uh, biomarkers generally produce long lead times, such as, for instance, 10 years before, before clinical onset, they uh, will simultaneously uh, create potential for, for overdiagnosis, as many will die from other diseases before they develop Alzheimer's disease. So the potential for overdiagnosis in this field is tremendous. Mm. Now, despite all those sort of unproven clinical benefits um, that you've talked about, you say that the market's expectation of um, these tests is very high and that investment revenues have grown from 22.4 to 53.6 billion, so it's more than doubled since 2012. Um, and that that might be due to the misleading sort of positive feedback effect um, from some of the marketing that you've mentioned. Yes, we were struck by the vast amount of venture capital going into these uh, new medical diagnostics. The global biomarker market is expected to double between 12, uh, 2012 and 12. 2018, and the mobile health market is growing yet even faster. A tenfold increase is expected of the same uh, time period. Uh, we have identified um, two types of feedback loops, positive feedback loops, one on the uh, populational level and one on the uh, individual level. On the populational level, tests um, tend to increase the apparent prevalence of uh, diseases and abnormalities. This fosters more concerns and thus more testing. At the same time, improved testing tends to identify patients with milder disease and abnormalities, and these patients invariably do better than those diagnosed as having the disease in the past apparently reinforcing the value of testing. And on the individual level, uh, people will either feel reassured from a negative test, or they will be relieved when a positive test are disapproved, or they will falsely believe that they have been 
saved from disease when actually they have been uh, overdiagnosed. And all these um, events will spur more testing. Now, quite often with new technologies and things, we expect the market to be self-regulating for it to um, pick out the things that actually work and invest in them and let the other products sort of fade away. Um, but if the, the market has become distorted by the, the feedback loops that you've talked about, um, what do you think should be done to, to try and regulate it a little bit more, try and um, make sure that only good tests that actually help patients um, are, are developed? Health policymakers and payers uh, should be aware of uh, downstream costs from new diagnostics. And also, they should be uh, worried about and concerned about and focus on uh, widened definitions of disease. Regulators on their uh, side should uh, care about uh, all the new uh, diagnostics entering the market without proper assessment of their clinical value. So assessment here is very important. And this is where I think researchers uh, could contribute uh, significantly by uh, proper validation of new diagnostics. Uh, they should be able to assess whether the diagnostic tests are accurate, but not only accurate. Even for accurate tests, you have to assess whether they're actually uh, actionable. And even for actionable tests, uh, they should assess whether the actions are important for people. Um, and what happens uh, to those uh, who uh, the tests do not benefit? So I think on all these levels, uh, important measures uh, can be and should be taken. In the UK, and elsewhere around the world, we've seen a sort of growth of direct-to-consumer advertising for these things. So it seems like educating patients about um, these tests is actually really important. Yes, and this will, I think, uh, become uh, more important uh, with uh, all these new tests and uh, biomarkers entering the market and uh, being promoted as uh, being beneficial to people's health. And uh, I think uh, um, we all have a responsibility to try to educate patients and physicians in particular by informing them not only about the potential benefits, but also about the dilemmas and, and harms of the testing uh, and uh, what uh, challenges they will have if they have a test and uh, they may have inconclusive results, they will enter new diagnostic odysseys uh, where they will uh, face with a lot of uh, uh, difficult uh, decisions and uh, which they uh, and also information which they uh, were not uh, maybe not aware of uh, in the first place. So um, this uh, task of educating us as a uh, population and, and uh, patients in particular is is not only a task of uh, of uh, of regulators and health policymakers, but also uh, of physicians. And I think it's very important uh, to uh, to do so as the pressure from these tests may become very very uh, significant in the future. 
Mm. And um, you know, clinicians need to be aware that these tests will end up in their office, even if they aren't necessarily um, clinical tests that they would order themselves, that patients will be potentially accessing these and bringing the results to them. Yes, as these uh, um, direct-to-consumer tests or other uh, marketed tests uh, will become more available, uh, people will take them, but they will not uh, know how to interpret it, their uh, the results, and they will enter uh, the physician's office with, with a lot of questions with regards to how to handle this. So the tests who are not approved of uh, will enter uh, the clinician's office and uh, and the clinician will have to, to face with them. The challenge here is, of course, that they may uh, generate a lot of health anxiety and worries and subsequent testing. And for the clinician, uh, they may... Um, the uh, noise and will distract from other and more important work with regards to their patients. Uh, and of course, patients will uh, may become more uh, anxious about their health as a result of this. You've been listening to Bjorn Hoffman discuss his article, New Diagnostic Tests, More Harm Than Good, which is now available on bmj.com. If you've enjoyed this, as always, rate and comment It's cliche, but it does help other people to find us and it lets us know what you want. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. There are over 200 episodes available there. And if you want even more, then have a look at SoundCloud. There are years worth of podcasts there, all for free. Just search for BMJ Talk Medicine. I'm Duncan Jarvis, Multimedia Editor here at the BMJ. Thanks for listening.